everyone, and welcome back to Once Upon a Timing, your podcast all about drugging grandmothers, uh, hiding behind bushes, and it doesn't matter if you are in uh, the 1980s, the 2020s, or in the Enchanted Forest, and I'm presuming medieval period, uh, Mean Girl's gonna be Mean Girl's. They're so mean for no reason. She made a cake. Why are you being weird about it? You guys yeah, suck. she she made she made a cake, and yet this woman, this young lady who is not related in any way to another young lady with the same name, even though this is a canon novel, um, that that's a thing. So yes, we are talking about chapters three, four, and five of Red's Untold Tale, a canon companion prequel novel to Once Upon a Time. And this tells the previously untold story of Red Riding Hood, including in this section where we find out just how she got that hood. In short, she got it in a box and opened it and it was in there. And there you go. Oh, and there's a note and there was a note pinned to it. So there the was end. a note. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It was a very it was a very stirring story. Yes. <laughs> Happy birthday, here's a cloak. Yay! Yay! So yeah, so uh before we get into it, Abby, how are you feeling as we've gone, you know, first couple of chapters, we were pumped, we were excited, breath of fresh air from the drudgery that was the previous novel. Are you still feeling the vibes going into uh, these later chapters? 100% um because again I talked about this last week this has such cool cozy vibes mm-hmm. these chapters there's a bonfire which is like a really again I'm from middle of nowhere Ohio you know what we do around here football you know what football means and living in the country bonfires on crispy fall nights and everyone just like standing like, I don't know if you've ever been to a bonfire, but that's what it is. Like, someone puts so much wood in a pile, and it gets lit on fire. And then everyone just sort of exists near it. Mm. Like, it's kind of like a... I feel like it was somebody in the country who was like, hey, they do this at the beach. And, like, there's a activity at the beach of being, like, in the water or just sitting in the sand and doing that stuff. But, like, we're in a field. So, same thing here. Like, you're in a clearing in the woods, which very dangerous place to have a bonfire, by the way. Um, but, yeah, we're going to have a big bonfire. And we're all just going to just exist near it. And I assume there's alcohol involved. Um, there's always alcohol involved at bonfires in the country. Um, but, yeah, it's your cast of characters. Of There's mean girls who showed up way too early for this bonfire, in my opinion. Um, and no guitar. No one came with a guitar, which is very upsetting. But again, fall vibes, wonderful fall vibes of a, of a campfire or of a, of, a, of a bonfire, birthdays, mean girl bullying that happens when you're in school. So like this is put on your cardigan. Let's read about red, your hood, your red hood. There's also some apple cider that yes. gets spiked. We get some spiked apple cider with Poppy. My goodness. Oh, yes. And and we get the time old uh, Halloween tradition of eviscerated organs uh, splayed out on a street, at least in our memory. And then there's a dead cow. And then there's so, a dead cow because, mm-hmm. you know, tis the season. Tis the season for, for apple cider and dead cows. Ah, uh, the witching hour. Um, yeah, no, I'm feeling the vibes. Are you feeling the vibes still? Are we still are still on board? I am feeling the vibes. I am still on board. I'm enjoying it. It's an easy read. As you mentioned, it's a cozy read. And, you know, as a woman who was once a teenage girl who was bullied by other girls, same, same. this the, the, this uh, this hits a bit. It, I mean, is it ham-fisted? Of course it is. We're in the Enchanted Forest. Pigs talk. So, of course, it's going to be ham-fisted. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Quite the burn. <laughs> The pigs talk. Ooh. Ooh. Uh, ooh. Eviscerated. Um, yeah, no, I I also, uh, a fellow fellow bullied two women with a podcast who love talking about fairy tales and reading were bullied. Get out of town. Um, but I, I remember when we want, like, just in the Wayback Machine here, um, when Mean Girls first came out, I remember, like, one of the guys that I was hanging out with was being like, there's no way this is like it's like almost too over the top because no one is that mean. And I remember just staring at him going, "Do you not exist in the same school that I do?" 
Like, it's not even that girls are this mean. It's just that everyone has the ability to be this mean. Especially, like, high school bullies. So, like, ham-fisted, yes. True to life, also yes. So. The one caveat is because, you know, they're, the whole talk of chapter, th- chapter three is about Peter's birthday party. It is the talk of the schoolyard, is what yes. they say. Which, they're, like, 16. Why are... Like, at the, why are they still in school in the Enchanted Forest? Especially since, as Red mentioned, some of them are married already and having babies. I I do. <laughs> I did laugh about that because, like, I think it's in the next chapter when Peter's talking about being an apprentice. And it's clear that the children in this these stories have, like, apprenticeship-like jobs. Mm-hmm. And that's what Red's doing. Red is the front-facing person of this org- of the bakery organization in which Granny runs. She makes, uh, Granny makes the stuff, Red sells it and hawks it door-to-door. Uh, Peter's learning to be a uh, blacksmith. Violet might be a, 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 a farmer's daughter. I'm, un- I'm unclear. <laughs> um, but also is getting a seamstress to make something for a dress. Unclear. Um... It's just, it, it's weird because it has this like Mona Lisa smile moment to it where it's just like, we're just here until we meet our husbands. And then we kind of come to class when we want to. Julia Roberts' character is not happy about any of this. <laughs> I'm going to take you to a museum and I'm going to teach you things. This is just like Dead Poet Society, except it's a lot worse. Julia Stiles, you have the choice between being a housewife and a lawyer and I'm mad that you chose wrong. Meh. I will learn something about this. And was it Clive Owen? Who is the? I forget who the, the the uh, the the distinguished gentleman is that Julia uh, uh, Julia Roberts falls in love with. I've- I I don't remember. I was talking with Tim about this movie just the other day, ironically, because he's never seen it, and I'm telling him that we have to watch it because it's just it's so bad. It's, and it does it's- have Jennifer Goodwin in it. That's what I'm saying. It has Jennifer has an amazing cast. Maggie Gyllenhaal, Jennifer Goodwin, Julia Stiles, Kirsten Dunst. It has everybody in it. And yet it blows. Oh, it's so boring. <laughs> it's it's painfully so, boring. Yeah. Like it clearly has a message and you're just like, I want it to be different. <laughs> I wish it were a thousand different things and it never is. Um what if Dead Poet Society? But for but but for ladies, the pink tax version. The pink tax version and it's also just kind of a snoozer. <laughs> but the good news is there's not a horrifically tragic ending the way Dead Poets is. Like she just leaves. There's not like Red Foreman doesn't bully a child um, into dying by suicide. Into dying tragically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, this book, g- good news. This good is the good kind of cozy, not the Mona Lisa uh, smile kind of cozy. Um, so yeah, so Red is apparently going to a schoolyard. I love the idea of like a 16-year-old bunch of like little women, but they also go to high school. Yes. <laughs> and so they're all talking about Peter's party, which we only really find out that Peter... The bully, the bully girls and Red are at. You never hear about really anybody else. You think maybe they're like milling around in the background, but everybody's talking about Peter's party. It's the jam, like this bonfire. And it's also a little rebellious because it's super close to Wolf's time, but like they're not afraid. It's like, what, whatever. Like, we're Such totally a, fine. Yeah, it's got like Stephen King light vibes to it where it's just like, yeah, we're 16 and like rules don't apply to us. We're all going to die very painful deaths in a couple of chapters, yeah. clearly. <laughs> One of them is definitely going to die and we know when. It won't be in the book, but it will be in the show. Um, so yeah, so, uh, Violet is, is really teasing Red because she insists that Red isn't going to be able to go to the party because Granny is super strict and won't let her go. And, you know, Red talks about how Violet is, is like, she says, she was likely the prettiest girl in the whole village, which two things. One, that's a weird way to word it where she's like, she's likely the prettiest and also hard disagree. Because uh, the actress who plays Red. Oh, for sure. Which could never be outdone by anyone. Oh, no. A candle held. No one holds a candle anywhere near the bonfire that is uh, Red. Um, 
Because I, I just love her big, big curls and everything. They go a little hammy with it later seasons. Like, they really do some sew-ins like, that are crazy. Um, but yeah, I, I, I did think this also, I think, helped inform her being bullied. Because I think, again, if Red is canonically the most beautiful creature to walk this earth, of course she's going to be being bullied. Mm-hmm. If she doesn't have the self-esteem... Because she clearly doesn't. Like, she's a yeah. loner. She lives with her grandmother. She's she's a little bit socially stunted. Like, she's not as outgoing, obviously, as the others. So, obviously, she's going to be ripe for the picking. Yeah. Yeah, they're going to want to tear her down because they're intimidated by her magnanimous beauty, as we all are. But we're confident enough in ourselves to recognize it. her beauty doesn't impact us at all. No. Except except for us to say, oh, she looks great, and to marvel at her gorgeousness. <laughs> Just stand by clapping. <laughs> she walked by. Well done. Well done. Good, good for well you. Done. Amazing. Amazing. Stunning. Absolutely gorgeous. So Red comes home, and uh, Granny has been cooking, whipping up a storm. She's made a... This whole scene was very confusing to me, because she made a surplus of frosting delicious frosting and 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 then it's just like i don't know what to do with this and so red thinks that granny made it for her cake for peter and so granny leaves and is like just do whatever you want with this frosting i don't need it i just made it for no reason and so she puts the frosting on her her shitty cake which still tastes really bad like granny could have just made a whole new cake which i'm really surprised that she didn't um, yeah, I but I do love uh, Red's enthusiasm of what you know what was really screwed up about this cake, the frosting. <laughs> Not that I undercooked it; it fell apart, and I basically smushed it together. No. And then we'll later have to smush it together again. That's I, how you make cake pops. Not a cake. That's, I'm just waiting for her to turn the cake around and say, "Nailed it." Is it, is it, it, it's a, like, cake or, is it cake or is it just a pile of dirt? It's cake! (laughs) Yay! Cake with some Rice Krispies in there to keep the, uh, to keep the shape. (laughs) Now, I made two different layers, but the bottom layer is just Rice Krispies because I really wanted to get the shape. So it's not a cake? No, it's mostly Rice Krispies. And so she starts putting the frosting on the cake and she takes this as a as a subtle gesture from Granny that that Granny did it for her cake. But presumably, if she has a cake for Peter, she needs to give it to Peter. So Red kind of assumes that Granny is tactfully giving her blessing to go to Peter's party. But Red's like, if I ask her, she's going to say no. So I'm just going to assume that this frosting means yes, and I'm going to go. I will tell you one of the things I appreciate the most about this book is the teenager logic that Mm -hmm. is clearly happening. The unreliable narrator of a teenager who wants to be willfully ignorant. (laughs) She made too much frosting. Clearly, this means she has changed Every single opinion she's had about Peter, I'm al- she must know about the bonfire. I can clearly go. I'm still going to need to drug her and sneak out, though. <laughs> like, this is such a clear, clear uh, truce flag from her saying, I can go and be free and be with who I want to be. I must sneak out of the home. <laughs> Wait a minute. Which one is it, Red? Don't ask too many questions. No, Don't ask too many both. questions. Uh, and before she leaves, she discovers uh, a something horrific. Her necklace, her golden cross necklace from her mother is gone. She assumes that she lost it when she was uh, at the swimming pool, swimming hole when she's at the lake with Peter. So she has to devise a plan to go get it back. Originally, she tries to go on her way to the party, but she runs out of time yes. uh, because they have to batten down the hatches for the wolf. And I did love this visual just because it made me remember how well they showed this in the show. Like they, you, you really got the sense of just granny's absolute, but justified paranoia. Oh yeah. Like full prepper, like a full prepper. And you tell them that the end of days are coming 
and you just start the 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 steel curtains car- start coming down over the windows and latching shut. There's big boards. They're putting stuff against doors, and then Granny with her crossbow just sitting there snoozing because uh, her beautiful baby grandchild. <laughs> Just wants to go and be a heathen in the moonlight, in the next to a fire with her friends, as teenagers are wont to do. Um, so she drugs her grandmother, obviously. Uh, just a word of advice, people: don't drug your grandmother. Not a no. good look, and no, not a good choice. You, you don't. <laughs> I love that this is the PSA. PSA: don't, um, don't spike your granny's uh, tea or cider with uh, poppy. <laughs> Don't, yeah, don't get her um, opium drunk. Um, not a not because she will come find you in a drunken haze and threaten your friends with a crossbow. Oh, I yeah, she will with, with her hair like silver snakes. Silver snakes. Silver snakes. I remember the silver snakes from Legends of the Hidden Temple. Uh, as well as I do. Um, I loved that show so much it can never be recreated i feel like they would bring it back just to have a bunch of like 40 year old people screaming at the television um but i love that show i can't imagine i would love to talk to somebody who was on that show about that pond thing that they or the the little pool that they had to be in in the first bit of it you know there was always the weeding out of the other eight mm-hmm. teams and they always had to get in that pool that i've rewatched it on youtube it seems so small mm-hmm. and doesn't seem clean nope <laughs> like i just imagining it's just piped in water from the backwoods of Florida onto this Nickelodeon set. And yeah. Apparently there is a podcast that like dives deep into the history and like the whole behind the scenes of Legends of the Hidden Temple. Hmm. Uh, Tim was listening to it. He told me some about it. So I, um, I will make a note in the show notes of that podcast if you'd like to learn more about Legends of the Hidden Temple. Like apparently the head writer... Was also one of the the temple guards because the, oh. there was like so little money for the show <laughs> he had oh. to be play one of the temple guards. Listen, I don't doubt that for a second because you can see it's a it's a ball pit. It's a McDonald's ball pit, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's just all poorly put together. It's like the um I loved guts as well because I was a sports kid. All I wanted to do I'd be like I would crush all of these children <laughs> at all of these, and I would have a piece of aggro crag on my shelf and I would point at it all the time and be like there it is and apparently sometimes they go for sale on eBay I watch them constantly I will pay adult <laughs> money to get a piece of the aggro crag and then lie about how I got it <laughs> hey so um a, a, a bonfire a bonfire yes a bonfire but first we also travel back a few years to Red's 13th birthday when she was gifted with a red cloak it's very beautifully described, very evocative, and pinned to the bottom is a message in, quote, midnight blue ink, a curious detail, and it says, wear this garment, fear not the wolf. And Red's a little weirded out by it because uh, Granny got a wizard to enchant it, and Red is like, uh, you don't like wizards, you don't like any kind of magic, what are you doing, why do you need, why are you doing this for me? And, she, and Granny's a little, um, little cagey. She, she dodges, she dodges, she's not, she's not being direct to something going on. Yeah, Granny, Granny teeters between being a very authoritative parental figure and also having that do as I say, not as I do vibe where she's like, magic mm-hmm. is awful and terrible and you should never partake in it. Also, wear this magic cloak. Where did you, what wizard? Where, like, again, loving the lack of follow-up questions. Like, these are all questions she has in her brain and does not outwardly ask. Um, which, again, is a very te- is a very 13-year-old teenage vibe. You're like, why would I ask these things? This is why you don't learn a lot about your parents until you're in your 20s and you start asking those questions. Mm-hmm. And then you're mad you didn't ask those questions before. But honestly, I don't think you would have been able to process some of the answers. <laughs> That's true. Um, because I will tell you this. I learned, I'm not kidding you, when we went to go see Taylor Swift in Kansas City, a bunch of lore just came out of my mother that I've never heard in my life. I found out, Beth, my entire adult life, I had I thought she just pulled the name Abby out of a hat. Apparently, she said this several times, seriously to me, that I've been named after a character from the soap opera Knots Landing. 
Are you I'm serious? Ju- I am 37 years old. This is information I've just learned about myself. <laughs> and she's a villain. She's a blonde bombshell villain lady from this 1980s. And I'm like, first of all, 100% tracks. But I love that my mother was just like, who am I going to name my sweet baby angel after? I know. Abby, the villainess from Knott's Landing. Wow, that's incredible. That's I know. That, that's an incredible origin story right so, there. So just so you guys know, lore drops can happen well into your 30s with your parents. Life can change at any moment. Um, uh, yeah. Actually, speaking of which, Red gets a lore drop from Granny uh, because she's uh, about her parents and what happened to them. Because uh, there is a whole thing where Red's trying to find out what happened to her parents and everybody has different stories for her and she can't believe any of them. And then Granny finally tells some people say that they were murdered by wolves and then some say that um, that uh, they just they ran, ran away, away and left her. And she's like, well, that's rude. But Granny <laughs> says that apparently they were killed by hunters who must, quote, mistook them for wolves. Uh-huh. And. Uh-huh. And. You know, because then Red's next thing is, oh, I am vengeful. I want to know the names of these hunters. And Granny's response was, no, you don't need to know their names. It's actually your parents' faults that they're dead. I told them not to go out. They went out. They got shot by hunters. This is why we leave a note. Ow, 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 Kira. Sorry, my my cat decided, so sorry, my cat decided to completely claw at my foot. And I'm pretty sure I'm bleeding now. Well, Beth, you were sitting completely still. She couldn't be sure if you were trying to kill her or not. So she had to attack. Oh, my God. I'm going to throw my sock. Maybe that'll distract her. Oh, it did. It worked. (laughs) Okay. Anyway, so... Um, yeah, so she's learning about that. She, there's other, like, little dro- hint drops about the wolves and wolf's time. And and apparently, this is something I thought was really interesting, that some people don't actually believe that the wolves actually hurt people. Like, it's fake news, which I thought was really funny. And then what it's followed up with is that the tale had been ta- passed down through the ages to frighten children much like witches who fed girls and boys delectable sweets to fatten them up before feasting on their tender flesh. So the fact that in the Enchanted Forest, they believe that real things are fairy tales is bonkers to me. Beth, they live in a highly conservative area. <laughs> they just want to... I thought the same thing. I thought it was so wild because it was just one of those, oh, this is overhyped, whatever. And then later, Violet goes in this whole rant about how we shouldn't have to live in fear of being eaten alive by (gasps) wolves. And I was like, I'm living in this time right now where it's like, why are you so afraid to go out and live your life? Maybe you should just stay home. Okay, but you made fun of me for trying to stay home. So now you're making fun of me for coming out? Pick a lane. I had the same thought. The first thing I thought of when I read that from Violet, I was like, oh, Violet's anti-vax. Violet has that, like, I, I, don't, I, I believe that COVID's real, but I think that we should, still, we should still go out and live our lives. And then you do, and then you get COVID. And sh- uh, why didn't you just stay home? Oh, okay, you, which, which, which one do you want? Like, pick one. Uh, Violet would 100% make a, make fun of a person in a store wearing a mask uh, for being afraid, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, even though you, they're just doing what they need to do. And like she was minding her own business wearing her mask. And then Violet mm-hmm. was just like, excuse me, I know you're standing next to the baked beans, but I need to tell you all of my opinions about Wolf's time and why you are a dumbass. <laughs> So Fred sneaks out of the house. We have an important note where uh, there's a squirrel there who she had seen at the window previously. And as she leaves, the squirrel kind of like hisses at her and runs away. And we're seeing a little bit more descriptions of, you know, once Red reached a certain age, like at first, like animals kind of like were into her and they thought she was super cool. And now they like totally run away when she comes near them. Like, what is that about? It's a mystery, although I would like to point out that when I try to talk to squirrels, they also run away from me, so Mm. am am I a wolf? Beth? Beth, what do you know? Why am I wearing this cloak? What's happening? (laughs) Don't take it off! 
Bar your windows! So then we move on to the next chapter, chapter four. We get a a small little backstory between Peter and and Red, where it's um, like learning about him being a blacksmith and them getting to know each other a little bit while Granny was um, bargaining to get some uh, arrows made. And Peter makes her a silver tipped arrow. And this is a big plot point. And I'm guessing it's going to come into play. Uh, she also just kind of slammed him with a snowball because she thought he threw one at her. And then he's just like, oh, well, good day to you too, ma'am. Dick. <laughs> I, the awkwardness of their interactions, just I feel it in my soul. Mm-hmm. We're just like, oh, we're having a snowball fight. I'm going to hit him square in the face with the snowball because we're best friends. And he's just like, hey, I'm not having a snowball fight with you. Um, but that's fine. Uh, do you want to come inside and sit in some hay while I work? <laughs> because this, this had, um, this had the, um, uh, watching, watching Ken play his guitar at you for hours. Yeah. Or like, or when a guy invites you over because his band's going to have practice. Or, or one that I also feel very, very deep in my soul. I've never had a guitar played at me. I've also like at all. Um, I have had video games played at me <laughs> for hours. Do you want to watch me play video games? I would rather play video games with you. But how about you just sit and watch me play a game that could clearly be multiplayer, but you can just watch how cool and good I am. And Beth and I sat there and watched it. <laughs> I'm not proud of it <laughs> in any way. Was not. I wouldn't do it now. I'd be like, give me a give me a controller. But I'm also like you know married and I don't give a shit anymore. Uh, but at the time. Listen, sometimes sometimes they're cute and your brain stops working and you're just like, yes, I would love to sit here and watch you play Soul Calibur for 10 hours. <laughs> Kill me. <laughs> or do blacksmithing because as she oh. says, as she says in her mind, for a twig of a boy, he sure can pound. <laughs> oh, her little AO3 brain just being like, oh, okay. Also, also she's like, wow, he's so pretty and he's just really going... <sighs> This is super boring though <laughs> i'm like i'm feeling some sort of way but i'm also about to fall asleep because blacksmithing sort of super boring so uh now we cut back to the bonfire uh she is red is first to arrive and then she's soon followed by Violet and the other girls who who make fun of her for being there early, but they're also there early. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I was so confused. I'm like, you're also at the party before nightfall. What's happening? And then, so we kind of get the dynamics of the three girls. Violet is the queen bee. She's the Regina George. Mm-hmm. And yes, she sa- shares a name with the Once Upon a Time character who lives in Camelot I will make a note that when this book was written and released it was between seasons four and five it was right after Emma had become the dark one so we hadn't entered that season yet so they hadn't written Violet as a character presumably in the show however they were working on it and the producers had given their blessing to the book so I feel like they should have given a different name I think she did it thematically because red and violet. It's like, you know, that oh. whole thing. It's like a color thing. I could see that. I would like to see, Wouldn't it be funny if, if you know, their world is just like our world. There's like some sort of like scroll that like every couple of like real crunchy moms in different villages have about like popular enchanted forest <laughs> names. <laughs> There's like three violets in every village. Because Violet's the name of the century for some reason. Oh, yeah. There's a a town crier that goes from from town to town. Hear ye, hear ye. The hottest girl names of 1263 are as follows. (laughs) Number one, Violet. (laughs) Number two, Emma. (laughs) Number three. And yes, it's from Friends. (laughs) <laughs> Number three, this was a write-in and I'm forced to include it, Regina. The author has noted it's the it's the prettiest name, the sexiest name, and anyone named it is wonderful. Thank you. 
And then you've got her, um, Florence, who is the, the, the suck up, the, uh, who's the, the other brunette one? They're oh, in, that in... one. Oh, um, oh no. Lacey Chabert's character. Yes. Um, her hair is full of secrets. Why can't I think of this woman's yeah. name? Uh, oh this my is, God. uh, Gretchen. Gretchen Wieners. Gretchen. Gretchen Wieners. Yeah, oh. she's the Gretchen Wieners. Her hair is full of secrets, and she also is a total suck-up and will do whatever she can to be in Violet's good graces. And then Beatrice is more of the, like, the, in kind of like Ever After, a Cinderella story where the one stepsister yeah. is secretly nice and kind of like is secretly cool, but also not because she's still hanging out with these horrible women. She's there uh, mostly for survival. <laughs> like, I have to be on this side. I'm so sorry, but like I, they feed me on this side. Like, ugh. she. I think she's also there to eventually turn on the popular girls and side uh, with Red yes. and like yes. have have a crisis of conscience or something. So Violet sees Red's uh, shitty cake and recognizes that it looks like a shitty cake because it is. It's a bad cake, but it's not enough just to let it be a bad cake because I feel like that would be the worst form of. Like, I feel like, because what they do is Violet kind of pushes Florence and then Florence like dramatically falls down so that she smashes the cake. Oh no, the cake's destroyed. It's a not a nice thing to do. That said, I think the better thing would have been just to let the cake exist because the moment Peter tried it, it all, all the, all the like fantasies about this girl made me a cake would be gone. But if the cake is missing, it's all about the mystery. She made me a cake. She made me a cake. It's not here anymore, but I bet it was the best cake ever. I mean, she is Granny's granddaughter. And why would someone destroy the cake if it weren't the most beautiful, delicious cake ever? Yeah. Um, Because I don't know. They never explain another boy. Like, Red is just noticing that the bonfire is, like, just crawling. It is absolutely lousy with the village girls and Peter. Peter had a boy-girl party, but it's boy and girls. Just one boy. And they are all lining up, fawning and falling all over themselves because he is... Um, well, it is his party, and I get that. But I, it, it does seem like he is the most eligible bachelor mm-hmm. in the universe at the moment to these... Because, again, it's a small town. They're not going to go anywhere. Because, again, Violet has very big peaked-in-high-school vibes. Yes. Where she's not going anywhere. Her life is in this village. She will marry somebody who is in this village. Then she will stay and run this village. Which is fine. That's a journey for everybody. Everyone gets one. That's what violence is. Yes. Red does not. Red spends an inordinate amount of time, I've noticed, just being awestruck by the vastness of the universe. I feel like she gets too close to the poppy a little bit, but she is almost every, ch- I think in each these three chapters that we read, there's at least one paragraph of her just staring at the sky and mm-hmm. taking in nature and have the wonder of it all and how much she loves just existing in nature, which I know what means, but at the same time, she does have a, like that Moana, the, the horizon calls to me kind of thing. Yeah, she wants much more than this provincial life. Exactly. Yeah, she doesn't exactly. want to marry Gaston. Violet can marry Gaston. No, she wants to. She, no, she wants to marry Gaston, but then take Gaston somewhere else. Like <laughs> we need to get out of this town. Like I think you're very attractive, but I think some of your point of views, especially about criminals, is wrong. So we're gonna get you and tour you around so that your um, political ideology will shift when you've entered a bigger space and met more people. Come, see the world with me. Well, Red doesn't want Peter to see this destroyed, demolished cake. So she gathers up the remains and uh, puts them into her basket so that she can throw them away. But not before Violet, like, takes a little swig of the frosting and then just smears it on her cape, which feels worse than destroying the cake. Because that's a nice cloak. I'm sorry. Do you know how hard it is to get icing and frosting out of velvet no thank you so theory Mm. violet has marked herself for death (gasps) she touched the cloak in anger 
she she has she has touched the orb uh she that is what i i read into that is that that she because it's very clearly on the cloak the magic wizard cloak with the weird blue ink pinned to the bottom of it a lot of strange things about this cloak so i have a feeling being mean to the cloak's owner and smearing frosting on it in anger is is not lining her up to be a survivor to the end of this book or at least we got to worry about those cows. Yeah, yeah. Well, we got to get the get the get the cow. I like the idea that the the cow was the first domino. Okay, we have to get a pretense to get closer to her. I know. We'll get the cow, and then she has to go to the next farm. I love the idea that the wolf is playing four D chess. <laughs> so yes, so we we get the cake, and it's all in the basket, and then she and- just spends the whole time like eavesdropping on the party. Um, because that's not going to make you seem weirder, Red. It's yeah, fine. she she hurls the cake into the fire. She gets really, really sad. She does not let Peter know that she is there. She instead goes and hides in the bushes and eavesdrops on the party where Peter is just talking about how awestruck he is that she made him a cake. And the legend of the cake is far greater than the cake itself. So, Red, you kind of should be thanking Violet. She's actually done you a solid. She has hyped you up in a way that cannot be matched because... I've destroyed the cake. Why did you destroy the cake? Because it was beautiful and tastes delicious. And now she's just saying that it didn't taste very good, which must mean it's the best cake that's ever existed in the universe. Um, and also, just to circle back to the other point, if it was mostly made of Rice Krispie treats, it probably would have hurt Beatrice to fall into it. <laughs> it's a real hard. She gets a black eye from it. Just, yeah, just like little bead marks on her face. Um, so yeah, as Red is hiding, she gets ready to come out and she wants to confront everybody and clear her name and, and also maybe, maybe have some smoochies with Peter while she's fantasizing uh, about him being at the swimming hole in only his britches. Total teen girl vibes. She's, she's doing it. She's living the dream. Listen, we have to have our maladaptive daydreams alone. (laughs) We cannot have them while we're actively engaged in a situation. (laughs) It's... While you're hiding in a bush at a party that you're nervous to be at, that you snuck out of the house for, with a bunch of people that already think you're super weird. Red honey. <laughs> right as she's about to uh, reveal herself to the public, two things happen. One, we learned that apparently Granny wants to try and stop the ball from happening. The forget-me-not ball. And, which would be sacrilege and would make Red the absolute pariah of the town even more so than she already is because that would just destroy the entire universe because everything is about a dance. If you don't have the dance, if you don't have the prom, what are you even doing? They're trying to cancel the prom? We need Kevin Bacon in here immediately. <laughs> and then the far better thing, ha- the far greater thing happens Decked out in her robe with a shawl, a crossbow, and silver snakes for hair, in pops, poppied up Granny, slumbering into the ro- to slumbering into the clearing, and yelling at a bunch of children that they're all going to be eaten by wolves, and 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 then yeah, <laughs> that, that ha- oh, and also uh, fat shaming a young man. By oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd be like, yeah. you're going to get eaten so fast. <laughs> you're, you, you will clearly be the first one to go, kiddo. Maybe take a couple of laps. He, so first of all, when the way that she described her grandmother showing up, all I could picture was the cat lady from The Simpsons. <laughs> just a, just a crazy lady in a nightgown chucking cats at people. Because <laughs> there was a wolf's howl. Uh-huh. And that stopped Red in her tracks from just confronting a situation and be like, I heard everything from the bush. Oh, she, if anything, this saved her from something even weirder happening. Um, and Granny is just yelling at them, being like, you guys are morons. It's wolf's time. She's like, no, wolf's time isn't till tomorrow. Um, I do appreciate the fact that there's a there's a little bit of like black and white version of the world that's happening with the teenagers of being like, Oh no, wolf's time doesn't start until tomorrow at midnight. Like not today because it's a very set schedule Mm -hmm. because we definitely know how it works. Also, it's the the natural family planning version of wolf. Exactly. Nope. It doesn't (laughs) start until Tuesday at noon. 
Um, and also, we also kind of don't believe it's happening. I love that there's no consensus on whether or not they believe it's real or not. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, oh, it's super fake. Also, it doesn't start till tomorrow. Okay, so which is it? <laughs> Do you not believe? Or does it start tomorrow? Because two different things. And so they're just like, get out of here, you crazy people. And Red takes off running. And Peter's like, wait, she was here. She made me a cake. I love her so much. And Granny takes off. And Peter's like, I will come help you find her. And, and he like, calls her wit- Widow Lucas. It's oh. apparently her non-granny name, which was so weird to me. Widow Lucas. Please never call me something like that. Like, that just had, like, in, you know, Pride and Prejudice, where she's like, I'm 27. I have no prospects. Like, I'm Widow Lucas. I'm just a spinster. Like, you're not supposed to call me that stuff to my face. Like, that's how you refer to me in, like, town meetings when I'm not around. Yeah. Otherwise, you can just call me Granny Lucas or, you know, whatever. Or hey, over there. Or old just lady. ma'am. Yeah, just ma'am works as well. Or just chef, because she's chef. Just, yes, chef. chef. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm Peter, go back to the bonfire. Yes, chef. Yes, chef. Heard chef. <laughs> and and then Granny comes across Red, and Granny expresses her disappointment in Red. And notes how the girls who are being mean are her friends and Granny calls them idiots, which I thought was really funny. And Red's very disappointed in herself and she's feeling like she's done goofed. Uh, And then she has a mysterious dream about... Well, first of all, she also has to basically carry Granny back home because Granny has to like sit down in the floor. She's like, God, I don't feel so... Listen, you guys are idiots. There's a wolf around. I'm just going to have a little sit here. Granny, come on. Let's go. We're, we're, we're going inside. We're going inside. Uh, but yes, then she uh, Red goes to sleep after I assume yes. the house is re, uh, re-fortified. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, so she has a dream where uh, she's following this voice. She's running after it. And all the small animals are running away from her, terrified. So there's more foreshadowing. And, uh, and there's a full moon. Dun, dun, dun. And then she wakes up. And uh, Granny is making a shit ton of muffins, just overloading. Because apparently... The teacher has wanted to make a bunch of muffins, wanted her to make a bunch of muffins for the entire class and all their families. A little part of me is worried this is a Violet prank, but I'm hoping it's not. We have not found out yet. Oh, no, I didn't even think about that. Oh, no. Oh, no, I'm upset. (laughs) No, I'm upset. (laughs) But the other news is Granny does not remember a thing about last night. She was so out of it. She was super duper high on them poppies that she don't remember a thing. Or at least she's not saying she remembers it. I need to see the order slip for all of these uh, muffins because I want to see it in an opium-induced sleepwalking handwriting of Granny writing it herself. I'm going to make a million muffins for the whole town and their parents. Yeah. And then goes to sleep and wakes up and finds it pinned her shirt. Oh, because it's the first thing in the morning. Did someone deliver it? Did someone come over? Because it's either a prank by Violet. I say it's one of two things. It's either a prank by Violet or kind of like uh, just her drunkenly making an order herself on accident. <laughs> just like <laughs> it's just she went and got red from the forest and somehow that put together in her brain, make a million muffins. But before she can finish making the muffins, Granny needs a bit more milk. Oh, uh, so Red's got to run over to uh, the farmer, uh, Mr. Thompson. With his sailor mouth. (laughs) A tongue of yours. A damn wolf. A damn Uh, wolf. Actually, no, that was the four. That was the daughter. The four year old. Oh, sorry. Yes, it's the the daughter. daughter. Um, So she goes to get milk, but she can't because the cow's dead. Uh, The the, the woman, Mrs. Thompson, she's like, the cow is with us no more. (laughs) She's like so delicate about it. And then the the daughter comes in. She's like, yeah. Wolf got her. Wolf got her. I, I, I love the idea of this like gentle parenting mother being like, the cow, we loved her very much, but she's no longer with our family. She has crossed over to the pasture somewhere else. And here comes this cartankerous child. That damn wolf got him. They killed my cow. I was going to show it in 4-H and now it's 
dead. <laughs> and then she follows by saying, and we needed the milk money to pay the damn tax man. The damn tax man. Oh, yes. She's angry. She was supposed to, this cat was part of her school project. She's also an anti-capitalist. We love her. <laughs> Oh yes, Fernie. Fernie is our hero. She is uh, our the new heroine of this story. Uh, we cheer all the chapters about Fernie. This. All the chapters after this are just about her, and then like red stuff is happening kind of tangentially. Yeah, um, I, yeah, I want to no. hear more about this four year old who uh, hates taxes and uh, also loves to swear. I, which is such a four year old thing, like. It's just when they start kind of emulating you enough that you have to start watching what you're saying mm-hmm. because it snuck up on us because for a while you could say whatever you want. Like they never repeated the other stuff. You can kind of just have conversations and then they start picking up on your more colorful language when you don't even know they're anywhere near you. <laughs> and then it starts coming out of their mouths in proper context. And then the other thing, this is just random advice. Then you have to watch out for the part where they hear you talking about your general goings on and that they internalize those things. So oh, you no. got you, you you can't gossip in front of your kids at a certain point. Oh no. So just be aware cuz then they are just like, "Hey, my mom was talking about something very important. It's this." No. <laughs> so just a thought, just a random thing. But yes, this random four-year-old has heard her like mother probably stub her toe. Just be like, the damn door. It's like the damn tax man. <laughs> and that's another call to this looming tax collector tax situation that we haven't really gotten more information about other than the fact that it's very much impacting this community. So is it going to play a larger part as we get further on in the book? I guess we'll see. I love that there's like three villain arcs happening all mm-hmm. at once. There is wolf's time. So then there's hunters afoot that we have to be careful of. There's a wolf or wolves that we have to be careful of. Um, Widow Lucas, absolute uh, menace to society, is trying to cancel the forget-me-not dance. Awful. Terrible. Uh, bullied gir- The bully girls and um, a-, a cute boy. So we got that going on. And then the tax man cometh. Yes. So, like, there's just so much. Like, this perfect storm of chaos is. This can only end in, like, villagers with pitchforks and. Like, again, we keep citing uh, Beauty and the Beast, but it's going to have that villager storm the castle moment where it's downpouring and lightning. Everyone's got torches that are surviving through the thunderstorm, so you know that they're good torches. They've got pitchforks and, like, just chaos is about to rain down on everybody. Like, that's got to be, like, the last bits of chapter. Right? Yeah, but but it depends on who the target is. If it's kill the wolf, kill the wolf, kill the wolf, I'm going to be obviously against it. However, if it's kill the tax, kill the tax, kill the tax... Eat the rich. I'm gonna be like, oh yeah, no. I'm like, like I'm just gonna go this way. You guys just do whatever you want. Like whatever. It's like the, you know, the end man. of this book is Red killing the tax man, and then they she gets hailed as the hero. They build <laughs> yes. a statue out of for her, like out of the tax man's bones. <laughs> the tax man's bones are the are the core of it, but then they also melt down all the money because they don't need money because Granny made a million muffins, and that's the currency. <laughs> but Abby. We close this chapter on an even bigger threat than the damn tax man. Oh, no. And that's the fact that there's only one cow left in town. <sighs> and the only cow or cows left in town are at Violet's house. There's only one no! heifer. There's only one heifer left in town. And it's Violet. I mean, at Violet. <laughs> <laughs> Got her. Absolutely right. <laughs> eviscerated just like her entrails will be when red gets through with her got her (laughs) well everybody that was chapters three through five of red's untold tale any special highlights for you abby anything that really stood out to you in these moments not not nothing in particular just that this is the kind of like hunger games like story that i really like because like i said there's so many different like various factors that are looming in the background for the story but it's through the eyes of a an awkward teenager Mm -hmm. so like the tax man is just sort of existing this major event that is clearly stressing out all of the adults 
and there's a wolf afoot that might murder all of her friends and there's an awkward teenager being like i hope a boy notices me i have trivial problems like another girl is mean to me and smashed my cake i love that because that's that's very true about the teenage experience i mean Mm -hmm. your your uh, ecosystem is the more important thing and then like politics and the world at large exist peripherally to you and Mm -hmm. this gives such a great version of that that i'm dying to know more about what's going on but i have read as a narrator and she only pieces just piecemeal the other drama and you're like this is all going to just like get dropped on us like a load of bricks just like it's going to happen to red and i'm so super pumped for it it's being led to us we've already invoked hansel and gretel so it is being breadcrumbed to us in such a great way mm-hmm. i'm loving this I'm, so i'm, I'm having, having a great time I'm having a great time, too. And everybody, thank you so much for joining us for this latest foray into Red's Untold Tale. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, wherever you get those podcasts. You can join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash OUA timing. You can also support us on Patreon. That's at patreon.com slash OUA timing. We want to thank our patrons for your support, especially our Swan Queen patrons. This week's Patreon shout out goes to Ashley Buschetta, who was also the winner of our Red's Untold Tale book contest. Let's go. Congratulations, Ashley. Ashley gets a free copy of Red's Untold Tale to be able to go on the journey with us. And uh, if you're interested in potentially becoming a recipient for the next book adventure, uh, be sure to stay tuned to Once Upon a Timing for more information on that. Uh, We are going to continue next week with chapters six, seven, and eight, the next three chapters of Red's Untold Tale. So please enjoy, and Abby will see you and read you next week. See you next week.